Good evening, everybody. Welcome to episode of Limit Light Outdoors. On the mic with you. I'm not going to be able to get this videoed. I'm just going to do the reading tonight. Uh, we're going to finish up. Uh, the book that we've been reading is The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit. We've been um, staying intact with our theme of learning about the Holy Spirit, who He is to us, uh, what He means to us, how He works through us, how desperate we need to be for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit through us. So we're going to finish tonight uh, this the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this will be the, the final chapter, and it's physical manifestations and Pentecostal worship. We in the Pentecostal charismatic churches are occasionally questioned about the comparatively louder and more emotional worship style that we follow. Consequently, I want to share some scriptures concerning our distinctive worship. We must recognize initially that much of our worship style has its roots in tradition and culture and not some God-ordained style of worship. Many of us were raised in a Pentecostal tradition and we're comfortable with it. I acknowledge at the outset my own bias and I do not want to teach any tradition as doctrine. Jesus warned against that in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7-9. through He said, I have seen Pentecostals and I've seen Charismatics teach our tradition as doctrine, going through the motions, experiencing the emotions, and yet their heart may not be right with God. They miss the point of true worship. I'll interject something personal here. I have seen the Dog and Pony Show myself. Uh, there's not hard to see the difference when it's truly the move of God versus the move of man. Now, back to our story. In John chapter 4, verse 20 through 24, Jesus is having a conversation with a woman at the well of Samaria. Trying to avoid his penetrating observations about her life, she tries to engage him in a theological discussion by telling Jesus her father's worshipped in this mountain. Yet the Jews say Jerusalem is the place to worship God. Where is the correct place for worship, she asks. Jesus responds with a powerful word about the essence of true worship. Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and and in truth. Now, from this passage, we notice three things about the true worship. One, true worship is not bound in tradition. True tradition and ritual are a part of every worship style and give a sense of continuity, man, continuity, let me get that right, in order to, um, to the worship experience. Our worship traditions join us to the past and connect us in a visible way to the faith of our fathers. Ritual in our worship can be filled with meaningful symbols that aids us in our understanding of God. However, the woman's support of the worship site and style of her fathers was not accepted by Jesus. He made it clear that worshipers were not meant to be bound to tradition or ritual. Rather, they were to be free to express their deepest love and adoration to God in fresh and creative ways. Pentecostal believers used to pride themselves in having been set free from the cold and lifeless ritual of mainstream denominations. 
Too often, however, we have simply substituted one set of ritual and tradition for another. We can be bound to our tradition of two hymns, three courses, prayer requests, offering choir, then sermon, altar call, with or without a Sunday bulletin, or printed order of service. Let me be clear. When we believe the only way to end a service is gathering around the altar, or the only way to pray is at the front of the sanctuary around wooden altars, or the only time in the service to worship is when the person in charge says, let's worship the Lord, then we're bound to tradition and to a place and a style of worship as surely as the woman at the well. Secondly, true worship is not bound to form. Jesus told the woman in verse 22, you worship that which you do not know. We must not worship simply for worship's sake. We must be careful, lest we become more focused upon the form and the method of our worship than we do to the object of our worship. True worship must center on Christ and not on how good our worship is or how we feel it makes or how it makes us feel. Jesus said in verse 23, the Father was seeking a people to be worshipers. This implies a relationship. Not worshiping that that we do not know or worshiping a method of worship, but worshiping the living God, fellowshipping and communing with him. God could cause the rocks to cry out in praise and would worship to him, but he desires worshipers that will commune with him in fellowship, building on a personal relationship. As true worshipers, we must not be bound to form, but to free focus upon the Lord. If we believe worship requires a piano and a Hammond organ, loud vocal response, a special music, etc., then we are bound to form and not truly free to focus upon the Lord. Thirdly, true worship is not bound to the flesh. Jesus said in verse 23 that true worship is to be in spirit and in truth. We worship in spirit when we understand worship is not confined to a building, a temple, a position, a tradition, or a ritual. We worship in spirit in spirit when we realize we cannot box God in or tell him how to manifest himself in our lives. We worship in spirit when we allow the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, to lead us in our worship time, guiding us and moving us to new expressions of worship, renewing and refreshing us with his creativity. We worship in truth when we worship with sincerity and genuineness. We worship with sincerity when we worship in order to express our love to the Lord and not for the sake of being seen or heard by others. The Father today is seeking worshipers who will worship not to achieve a sense of accomplishment in the service, not to feel spiritual or look spiritual, not because we are the worship leader or the people are watching, not because we are afraid of what someone might think or say, but because we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and a hunger to draw near to God and express our love and our adoration. The Pentecostal tradition has occasionally witnessed people taking this reference to worshiping in spirit and using it to justify or excusing putting on a show in church. Pentecostal worship has always been enthusiastic and emotional, but there are scriptural principles and guidelines that must be applied. The guidelines that are outlined in the previous chapter with regard to spiritual gifts can be applied to Pentecostal worship as well. Our expressions of true worship and praise must first of all be decent in order within the service, not bringing confusion to the service or other worshipers. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 33 and verse 40 says this, If a worshiper does not recognize the need for order and is not willing to submit to authority, he is not allowed to, to be allowed to speak. He should not be allowed to disrupt the surface. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37 through 38. Secondly, honor and glorify Christ. 
Remember, as the Holy Spirit within us offers praise and worship through us, he will always lift up and exalt Jesus Christ through our words and actions. Thirdly, never bring attention to ourselves, but must show sensitivity to the direction and the moving of the Holy Spirit. Fourth, be offered in truth with sincerity and genuineness from no ulterior motive or personal agenda other than worshiping the Lord. And fifth, be consistent with the teaching of the Word of God. There are some expressions of worship that seem to be unique to Pentecostal charismatic gatherings, besides the speaking in tongues or other spiritual gifts. Let's consider some of the specific physical expressions of Pentecostal worship. Lifting hands in worship is a characteristic found in most Pentecostal or charismatic churches. While there are many reasons for this practice, here's some reasons that we can talk about. Raising hands is in most universal sign of surrender. When I was a boy, we played cops and robbers. When you wanted the other guy to surrender, you said, stick him up. We raise our hands to show that we surrender to whoever had got the drop on us. We raise our hands in worship to show our surrender to the Lordship of Christ in our lives. Lifting hands is a gesture of adoration and respect. In ancient times, to worship and bow before a great king included the extension of the arms over the head and then bowing forward toward the ground. Our lifting our hands is an expression of our love for the Lord. It is a physical act which symbolically ascribes worth and honor to the Lord of hosts. Raising hands in worship is a symbol of supplication. Lifting empty hands to God is a sign of our need and desire for Him to fill our hands and hearts with His presence and His peace. Several scriptures refer to this practice of lifting hands. Uh, Psalm 28, 2 Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to thee for help, when I lift up my hands toward thy holy sanctuary. And in Psalm 63, 4, So I will bless thee as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Psalms 141, 2, May my prayer be counted as incense before thee, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. And 1 Timothy 2, 8, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath or dissension. Another physical form of worship often found in Pentecostal charismatic churches is clapping the hands. This is not only done in rhythmic support for the music, it is also done as an act of worship, accepted almost universally as a sign of approval, encouragement, and acclamation. Psalms 47.1 says, O clap your hands, all ye people, shout to God with a voice of joy. Believers can worship God by giving Him an ovation, applauding the Lord and His generous and righteous deeds. When clapping hands with music, keep in mind it is expressive of joy in the Lord and offered to Him, not just to make a joyful noise, but as a celebration of His mercy and of His presence. Praying aloud in unison is another characteristic of most Pentecostal gatherings. Someone once asked why Pentecostals prayed so loud. God's not deaf, you know. The questioner pointed this out. That's right, came the reply, but he's not nervous either. Although loudness is sometimes equated with the fervency of a prayer, loudness or tone of a prayer certainly has nothing to do with its effectiveness. There are, however, scripture references to support praying collectively and playing loudly. And they sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. It's Ezra chapter 3, verse 11. And when it was sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language 
We hear them in our own language speaking the mighty deeds of God in Acts chapter 2, verse 6 and verse 11. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God in Acts 10, 46. It appears the Holy Spirit moved upon the New Testament believers. They often expressed their praise and adoration to God in voices loud enough to be heard some distance away. There is a sense of unity symbolically shown when we lift our voices together to God in a chorus of united prayer. The reference in Ezra 3.11 refers to the children of Israel shouting. Pentecostals have been long noted and often derided for shouting in their services. But do Pentecostals really shout? Luke chapter 19, 28-40 records the triumphal entry of Christ into the city of Jerusalem. Some of the disciples were becoming a bit too boisterous in their praise. Luke records this, And as he was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all of the miracles which they had seen. Luke 19.37 As the Pharisees tried to quiet the disciples and stop their shouting, Jesus said, Luke 19.40 I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. There are times when our praise leads into a vocal response to the presence of the Lord that we call shouting. It, it could be described as loud, enthusiastic voicing or of praising and worship to God, much like the disciples expressed on the day of Christ's triumphal entry. The passage in Ezra 3, 11-14 records the response of the people at the laying of the foundation of the temple. So moved by the thoughts of God's faithfulness in restoring Israel, the people shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the shout of joy from the sound of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard far away. Psalms 47, uh, Psalm 47, 1 instructs us to clap our hands, all peoples, shout to God with a voice of joy. To those who criticize such expression as mere emotionalism, my first response is, so what? Most of us express emotion over things or people we feel strongly about. If we can jump and shout at a sporting event or when watching our five-year-old play t-ball or after getting a raise in pay or in conjunction with a host of other events, surely there could be nothing wrong in expressing emotion and enthusiasm in worshiping the God who freely saved us and delivered us from sin. Agreed, there is no power or virtue in noise for the sake of noise. The virtue or benefit of shouting unto the Lord comes in physically yielding to the moving of the Holy Spirit upon our own spirit and emotions. Again, any expression in a public worship service must be decent. It must be in order and in an appropriate context within the service. Another visible worship form found often in Pentecostal churches is the verbal response to the preaching by saying amen or other similar expressions aloud. Amen means true, certain, I agree, or let it be so. Saying or, or shouting amen is simply a method of expressing agreement with one, the one ministering. Psalms 106.48 states, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14.16, Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the, only, how will the one who fills the place uh, of the ungifted say, that a man, say the Amen at your giving thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? The shouting of Amen, praise the Lord, or hallelujah, still fills the sanctuary of most Pentecostal churches, showing agreement with the minister and bringing encouragement to him as he preaches. 
Another uniquely Pentecostal experience is often referred to as laughing in the Spirit or being drunk in the Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, believers were so overwhelmed by the Spirit that the men of the city thought they were drunk. Some Pentecostal scholars believe Peter's response to the accusation of drunkenness among the disciples could more accurately have been translated, These men are drunken, but not as ye, not as ye suppose. Acts 2, verse 15 the minds and emotions of, of the disciples were certainly under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Laughing in the Spirit is initiated by a strong impulse of the Spirit, to which the worshiper willingly responds, overwhelmed by a sense of celebration, gladness, and joy. The entire congregation be, can be carried into his joy and praise uh, of the Lord. I recall a time as an associate pastor when our senior pastor was in the hospital facing open-heart surgery. Everyone was concerned, and the church was called to a time of intercessory prayer. After a time of intercession, there was a holy laughter that swept over the people. A sense of joy that everything was going to be all right flooded our souls as the burden lifted. Indeed, he came through surgery without complications and continued pastoring the church for another five years. Weeping in the Spirit is a similar expressive form. The Holy Spirit may create a heavy burden that draws the individual or even an entire congregation into a place of brokenness and humility before the Lord. Jeremiah the prophet understood about the brokenness and the motives and the moves as to tears. He says this in Jeremiah 9 verse 1, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Joel 2.17 states, Let the priests of the Lord ministers... Uh, let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the ports and the altar. I can recall times as an evangelist when I felt such a heaviness in my spirit as I prayed for the revival services that I would weep and groan, travailing before God for the souls of people. I've had a similar experience as a pastor, weeping before the Lord for extended extended periods of time until the burden lifts. Another physical expression of worship that has found new popularity in Pentecostal charismatic circles is dancing before the Lord. Dancing is in the Spirit is an expression of worship which can occur during times of great spiritual outpouring and celebration in the Lord. Pentecostals have traditionally taught that such expressions are to be initiated only by the Holy Spirit. When this occurs, the Lord seems to be the only partner in the dancing is not dependent upon any musical accompaniment or choreography. I've seen women and men dance across the front of the sanctuary with such grace, their eyes closed as they worship the Lord. The Old Testament records occurrences of dancing before the Lord. These instances were celebratory in nature and seemed to depend upon choreography and music. Nevertheless, the dance expressed praise and worship unto the Lord. Miriam danced in Exodus 15.20, as did the women when David killed Goliath in 1 Samuel 18.6. David danced before the Lord when he brought the ark of, of, to, back to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 6, 14 and verse 16. Dancing was mentioned in Luke 15, 25 as part of the celebration for the prodigal son. An unfortunate thing has occurred in the recent past. Dancing as worship in the church has become a divisive issue, and that is certainly not pleasing to the Lord. Some churches have chosen to choreograph dancing before the Lord. Others believe that dancing is only appropriate when the Holy Spirit supernaturally moves upon someone and he or she dances before the Lord. I believe the answer to this point of con contention is to offer your dance to the Lord as worship. But do not harm your brother or cause him to stumble in the process. Paul's instructions to the church in, in Romans 14 are most appropriate for the church that is divided on this issue. We are called to love and not judge our brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
a final physical manifestation often found in Pentecostal charismatic churches, is being slain in the Spirit, also referred to as falling under the power. This, too, is a rather controversial issue in some churches. The important question, of course, is whether there is biblical evidence to account for such an event. There are scriptures that record people falling, apparently a spontaneous reaction to the glory, the majesty, the holiness, and the power of God. Acts chapter 9, verse 3-4 through records the Apostle Paul's encounter with the Lord. His name was still Saul at the time. Paul found himself knocked to the ground as the Lord spoke to him for the first time. John 18, 4-6 tells the story of Judas' betrayal of Jesus in the garden. When Jesus spoke to those who had come to take him away, they drew back and fell to the ground. John 18, 6. As a student at Oral Roberts University in the 1970s, I was privileged to see and hear Catherine Kuhlman speak several times. When Miss Kuhlman ministered, people would fall, sometimes many people at a time. It was as though the people simply could not stand on their feet in the presence of the Holy Spirit as he touched their heart and their life. Falling or being slain in the Spirit can be a genuine spiritual experience. Sometimes it has to do with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit falling upon someone who is lost and away from God. Unfortunately, counterfeits also occur. People falling can be a result of the power of suggestion, psychological anticipation, or even manipulation. Apparent instances of spirit-slaying can be a purely carnal manifestation. The person fell simply for their own reasons. Or they may be a mixture of spiritual manifestations coupled with a person's own desire for the experience. I have witnessed people so desirous of the experience that they fell with little or no prompting of the Holy Spirit. Seeking after experience is not true worship. I've also seen people who didn't want to hear the Word of God anymore fall out. I call those mercy drops. I usually just followed them to the floor and just kept speaking whatever God had put on my heart. They were going to hear it whether they wanted to or not. The key to rightly and righteously encountering all of these manifestations and expressions of worship is to seek after Jesus, the object of our affection, rather than seeking the experience itself. We are to seek after Jesus and worship the Father in spirit and in truth, allowing the Holy Spirit to move us as He desires, all the time worshiping with our whole heart. As you continue to grow in expressing your worship to the Lord, develop an open heart. Be open to all He has for you. Yield to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Do not allow yourself to be bound by traditions or fear, but respond in freedom as the Lord directs you. Do not be afraid of the Holy Spirit as He leads you into new expressions of praise and worship. Remember, this is the gentle Spirit of Christ. He will not harm you or wound you in any way. Finally, don't be pushed into responding in a certain way. Don't let anyone pressure you, but make sure you are open to all the Holy Spirit desires to do in you and through you. God is seeking worshipers who will worship with integrity and sincerity, not moved by gimmicks, but drawn to Him in devotion and love. The breath of God, the Holy Spirit, wants to breathe life and refreshment into every area of your existence. Respond as the wind of the Holy Spirit fills your sails and carries you forward in obedience and in your relationship with the living God. Worship in spirit and in truth, for He alone is worthy. A final word as we close this. As I look back over the pages of this book, I see so many things I left unsaid about the Holy Spirit. Perhaps that is as it should be. 
Our life and fellowship with the Holy Spirit is not something that can be summed up in the pages of a book or a manual. After a lifetime in the Pentecostal tradition and almost 30 years of personal experience, I still find myself learning every day. My purpose was not to write an exhaustive handbook on the Holy Spirit, but to provide a very basic tool that would prompt and assist you in your own personal study of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, encourage you to walk with Him, and enjoy the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit in your daily life. Explain as simply as possible the unique doctrine and practices of the Pentecostal charismatic tradition. I trust all of this will con- all of us will continue to learn and grow in the Lord and in His grace. There is much the Holy Spirit would teach us as we study and surrender our lives in obedience to Him. Remember, there is nothing that can compare to the life of a believer as we are led by the Holy Spirit, abiding in His rich grace. May God be with you as you continue on this glorious journey of faith. This was Phil Taylor. It was actually written in September of 1992. What an incredible book, The Person and the Work of the Holy Spirit. I know we've been here quite some time today, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up quickly. But I want you to reflect back. Maybe go back and listen to some of these. Uh, the, the fact that we don't need to seek the gift of the Holy Spirit. We just simply need to seek the Holy Spirit in obedience to His Word. Uh, all of these gifts are available to everybody, not, not any particular one to a particular person. Uh, you don't have to achieve some goal in your Christian walk to, to get badged of honor with a gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can work in all of us at any given time in multiples of ways. I talked about the fivefold ministry as we talked through this. The fivefold ministry is the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist. Those are the fivefold ministries of, of, of the Bible, of, of God, of ministers. But I don't have to have a label to be a particular one. Yes, I operate in the realm of an evangelist today. Uh, I've served as an associate pastor. I've served as a youth pastor. I've been used apostolically in, in leading and helping other ministries set up uh, and, and grow and, and glean good things. I've been used prophetically as I've spoken prophetically. I've been used as in a teaching realm as I've God's used me to teach His Word in certain places. The pastoral role is a servant's role, and the evangelist is the same. We're here to minister the Word of God. All of us are called to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to lead people to Jesus Christ. That fivefold ministry is the same as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't want one. I want to be able to be free to work in any particular gift or calling that God has for me. That should be our goal. Seek the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Continue to seek Jesus in everything that you do, calling out to God for more. There's always more. None of us have arrived at any level yet. We're not going to in this earth. Keep looking for more. Keep seeking more. As as I was told way back in my youth ministry, go deeper. There's more. God told me that leaving the revival realm, which was the most unique thing I'd ever seen spiritually, and God was simply telling me, go deeper. There's more. Don't get hung up here. Don't get hung up on the surface. There's more. Don't get hung up in the manifestations of the Spirit. There's more. Don't get hung up in the frills. There's more. Don't get caught up in the in the in the the high end worship. There's more. Keep going deeper, and let the Holy Spirit 
breathe into you whatever he chooses at whatever time he wants. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll be starting a new work, a new word, come Wednesday of next week. Stay tuned. There's more to come. Amen. Thank you for your support. Thank you for praying with us. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. God bless you. Rhonda and I love you. We'll talk to you again real soon.